0: All right, so we're going to continue onward, and we've got to hear from Pastor David about Israel. We saw the solid biblical context. We saw how they have that promise to the land, and then we got such a wonderful exploration of anti-Semitism, the law of Moses, all of the pieces that we've gone through, and we're going to close, and what I'm going to guide us through, I'm calling, What Now?, Because ultimately when we think about everything that's going on globally, when we think about everything that we're seeing in the news and all of this, that question comes up, what now? What do I do with this? What do I do with the information that we've just got? So one thing I'm going to say is we're going to reflect on the time that we're in. And after we reflect on the time that we're in, we're going to navigate through church deception on the importance of Israel. Because I think it's important in that what now to understand the deception that's being taught right now on a Wednesday night as we're sitting here, the deception being taught about Israel. Now, one thing we have to understand, and I want us to remember, we're on the eve of December 7th, which is going to mark exactly two months of this horrific attack by Hamas on the nation and people of Israel. And I'm going to share two short stories, and it it may be uncomfortable for some folks and whatnot, but I think it's important that we're aware of the reality of the situation that took place on that day. So these are two separate stories. This is first Dalit Aray's story. The morning that the horrific slaughter took place, we were supposed to celebrate my son's birthday, and the whole family was planning to come to the kibbutz. At 6.30 in the morning, we heard the red alert siren, and we all went into the safe room. We're used to rockets, but this time the sirens didn't stop, nor did the echoes of explosions and things falling. We realized that this type of event, that this is not the type of event we were used to. And at some point, we felt safe to leave the room to get our cell phones, water bottles, and snacks. At that same time, we didn't imagine that that decision would save us all these hours that we were in the safe room. When the terrorists reached my parents, who live with caregivers in the kibbutz, we still didn't realize the intensity and the size of the event. We knew that terrorists, some of them in army uniforms, were in the kibbutz because one of the people from the rapid response squad had written it in the WhatsApp group and told us that we need to lock our house and be careful. But we didn't know how many terrorists there were, and mainly we didn't know that there was no army. I tried to call everyone I thought that could possibly help my parents, but no one answered. At this point, I was sure that the terrorists were only at my parents' house. But then horrifying messages started to come through from all the kibbutz residents that there were terrorists in their homes, trying to break into their safe rooms, burning their houses, shooting in every direction, and throwing grenades through the windows. No one knew where the army was. That was the moment I understood that we were alone, and I started instructing my parents' caregivers on how to hold the handle of the safe room door. Afterwards, they told me and thanked for those instructions because they survived. All of the other houses in their row had been harmed, and most of the residents there had either been kidnapped or murdered. My four-year-old daughter didn't understand what was happening and started to scream all the time when we needed to be completely silent. I put my hand over her mouth and begged her to be quiet as if we were in the Holocaust. She got insulted by that, went to bed, and fell asleep. In fact, the whole time there were terrorists in our house, she slept. It was probably a defense mechanism, which was really lucky. I hugged my two sons tightly and tried to call for help with my other hand, but there was no one to call. My eldest son said to me, Mom, I don't want to die on my birthday. At that moment, I promised him that we would get out of there, we would celebrate his birthday the best we could, and we would celebrate life. It was really important to me that even in these hours, in the most dangerous place and with no defense, my children would have some kind of anchor and that they would know that we would always do what we could to protect them, no matter what. In hindsight, we realized we're lucky because only the looters came to our home. There were a few unsuccessful attempts to break into the safe room, and they gave up, just stealing items, passports, wallets, and destroying the house. We even heard the voice of a boy among the terrorists. There was a moment when they began to drill, and we still don't know what they were drilling. We were also scared that they had booby-trapped the house. One of the most stressful moments was when the batteries in our cell phones ran out. Our family was frightened and wanted to know what was going on. I was in contact with my parents the whole time and was scared that if I didn't instruct the caregivers, the terrorists who had set up the headquarters in their house would succeed in breaking into their safe room. We were also scared that the rescuers wouldn't be able to find us and get us out of the house. We realized we had no choice, so we left the room quickly to get the chargers. The children were terrified, and the youngest one developed a fear of abandonment ever since. Yesterday, for instance, she told me that she dreamed that there was a red alert siren and she was really scared, and that she woke up and cried, but none of us heard her. I told her that next time that happens, she should wake us up immediately, that we're always there and we'll do everything we can to protect her and her brothers. She also talks quite a bit about being scared that she will be hurt or killed. She hasn't yet asked anything about her best friend Ariel, who was kidnapped along with his mother, Shiri Bibas, and his nine-month-old brother, Kifir. It's not easy to support children who have experienced trauma like this, especially not in the first few days after the event when we're all in a state of complete shock. Even after they've evacuated us, we couldn't speak about or process the events because we were in protected kindergarten while terrorists still roamed the kibbutz. Clouds of smoke and a burnt smell covered everything, and the sounds of gunfire and rockets haven't stopped. One out of every four kibbutz members was kidnapped or murdered. There's almost no family from near Oz that came out of this slaughter whole. It's clear to me that it was a game of Russian roulette. If more experienced terrorists had come to our house rather than looters, we probably would also have been hurt. We have a feeling of survivor's guilt, and there are moments when I catch myself looking at the children, hugging and kissing them, and telling them, Thank God you are with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know how lucky we are and how this can't be taken for granted. Story two. At the entrance of the MIG unit, my life has turned upside down and changed completely. It's a small concrete doorless bomb shelter. Lori would work every weekend. I would stay at home waiting for her to come back at 11 p.m. on Saturday night on a good night after leaving the house Friday morning. She was such a hardworking woman. She was willing to do everything to fulfill Her never-ending goals. And I am saying all this because we were so excited for that weekend. As a couple, we were really looking forward to experiences, getting our pent-up energies out, unwinding, and then going to sleep for 12 hours, cuddled with our dogs. And then those missiles started. Those missiles that did not scare you at all, my love. You organized all your things while others were scared and ducking for cover. We got in the car and you called everyone to let them know everything was okay and that we were on the way home but you did not make it back home. Here is where the tears start again, even as I write. We went into a MiG unit so a missile wouldn't hit us. You settled in a great space in the MiG unit. It is sad to say, but the dead were supposed to save you. After the grenade, I must have passed out and didn't manage to stop you from going outside. I promised that if I hadn't passed out, I would have hugged you as tight as I could have as long as you stayed by my side. But you were suffocating from the smoke, and you escaped outside. On the outside, you came across those killers. I swear to you, I will make sure thousands of missiles with lorivardy written all over them will hit them, and I will enlist in the reserves. They shot you. I woke up only after that, it seems, blind in one eye and barely hearing anything. I looked for you. Oh, no. Besides, I pass by as I search for you. I haven't seen such even in the Game of Thrones. You weren't in the MIG unit. I understood. You went out. I got closer to the exit door, and I couldn't hear shooting, so I decided to go and look for you. You were a meter from the entrance, lying on your stomach. I turned you over. The last look on your face gives me chills every time I think about it. An angel with eyes wide open. I lost it. I tried to revive you, but there was no one to revive. With the shooting starting again towards my direction, I made the decision to save myself and run without you. The most difficult decision I've ever made in my life. My Lord, the amazing love I have felt for you already multiplied ten years over since October 7th, 2023. How much light you gave to those around you. How many people smile next to you, laugh and enjoy your nonsense, the sweetest nonsense in the world. On the other hand, you were an incredibly clever woman with great charisma and self-confidence who knew how to get anything her heart desires. Really anything, I'm not exaggerating. You have a villa in my heart, a whole villa just for you, and it will be there forever. Please share Laura Vardy's story with me. Don't skip it. We are here to commemorate her. These are just two stories. You can read several more if you go to October7.org. It's a site that they've created that has all of these different stories of folks and what they have gone through in this horrific attack. And that's that's just covering the survivors. That's not even covering the cases where they haven't survived, they're hostages, where we're talking about Parents watching their children burned to death while terrorists sip soup in laughter. So what now? One thing is that we need to realize this was an, a terrorist attack on innocent people. Our culture's chosen to make this an issue that is quite misrepresented, and that's what our media tends to do. So the first thing we need to do is prayerfully discern and have accurate resources teach you about what has taken place. Two that I will suggest, Behold Israel, Amir Tzarfati, and the Joshua Fund, Joel Rosenberg, two great ministries that you can follow and get information about everything that's taken on. But prayerfully, you have to seek to process these times in a truthful lens. We need to remember history. On Wednesdays, we're typically in the book of Psalms, and I want to remind us that are going through that. Psalm 20, we saw that psalm before the battle, and it spoke to King David. Israel as a nation didn't go to battle unless they were attacked first. They weren't looking for battle, and guess what? They always respond in defense of attacks, and it's been the same thing throughout history. The attack in 1948, 1967, both unprovoked, and the same continues today. But the media chooses to highlight the crimes in Israel in response and their defense, and they neglect to realize that what they're doing outweighs the terrorism, the crimes, and the military attacks that have taken place against them by Palestinian and Arab neighbors. October 7th, folks, needs to be a date that is remembered. It needs to not be forgotten, and it needs to be seen as what it truly was, a terrorist attack by Hamas. Hamas, a Palestinian nationalist group that's seeking to eliminate the nation of Israel and replace it with an Islamic state. Hamas means Islamic-resistant movement. Now, Pastor David already brought us through The history of Israel, we understand that. And one of the verses that I was planning to hit, and he also hit Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 8. We have to remember this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And this is in his sovereignty. The Lord did not send his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to his fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from a Pharaoh, the king. We can't ignore God's desire all along has been to bless the world through Israel. We have to understand that. We're seeing it in the book of John that we're in. Think about the encounter that we saw at the well in John 4, verse 22. Jesus says to her, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we, we, uh, sorry, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. We have to understand salvation is from the Jews. We can't neglect to realize, saints, the role Israel plays in our lives. We as believers could truly say the things that we have most valuable to us have come through the Jews. Our king, our savior, Messiah came through the Jews. The word of God came through the Jews. So worship Israel. No, that's not what we're saying. Israel's currently in rebellion against God. They reject the truth of Jesus as Messiah. The nation isn't obeying God. It's quite secular. And still there are Jews that are being saved and coming to faith and knowing Yeshua as Messiah. And saints, we have to continue to pray that and we have to realize something. All of the promises to Israel will come true. When we look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3, that um, Abrahamic covenant, Pastor David walked us through it. We see in there the Messiah is going to come. There's that promise. We see the promise of the land. We see the special favor for the people. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's that purpose. We're reminded to bless Israel. We're reminded what now we pray for the leaders of that nation. We pray that Israel doesn't have the church wavering on the truth of God's promises to that. And guess what? We love Israel because by God's purpose and merit, they're chosen and we love them. And as we seek to pray for Israel, we need to address a dilemma that I think is permeating our culture and the church at large, and even more since October 7th. And in preparation for this, I was originally going to share some things, because I took some time, you know, every now and then I'll do my little, let's just Google and see what other churches are doing. And it was fascinating, the number of churches that are falling prey to this. And I want to remind us, the church and Israel are not in a place where the church has replaced Israel in value. Replacement theology currently has too many churches teaching that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan. And that is not the case. Within replacement theology, the belief becomes that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. They believe that God doesn't have specific and future plans for the nation of Israel. That's where they can say, they're horrible what they're doing. Go Palestine, go Hamas with what you're doing. Now, within this, there's a few different branches that we see where there's the replacement theology where the church replaces Israel, or you'll also see some churches promoting covenant theology where the church is an expansion of Israel. Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, Calvary Chapel Movement, we do not hold that view. We rightly divide scripture, we rightly divide the word of God, and we know the church is different and distinct from Israel. And that's categorized by dispensationalism, premillennialism. That's where we are. That's what we believe. Now, when you say that, you'll have some people on that line of fence will say, okay, well, you're just pointing to uh, John Nelson Darby, 1830s. He came up with this. That's when it came in, and that's that. And it's just a man-created thing. And no, you've got to go to the replacement theology. And for those folks, I would just say, John Nelson Darby just put what the Word of God already had in there. That's all that he did. He just put what the word of God was there from in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. It's all already been there. And I say to those folks, you're neglecting to take the word of God in context and go from there. So an interesting exercise that I, when I was an early believer and trying to understand Israel, an interesting thing that I did was a little word game. And we're going to play that word game for a minute as we look at Romans chapter 9. Because if we run with this idea of replacement theology, let's see what happens when I start reading Romans 9, 1 through 5. I'm going to replace Israel with the word church or churches. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed. From Christ and from my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are churches, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises. I can't even go on. It doesn't apply to the churches. It applies to who? Israel. Which is why the word that's there is Israelites. Because he's writing about Jewish people. So we look again now. We could go to verse 30 in chapter 9. Same game. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But churches pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but it as were by works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the churches is that they may be saved. No, Israel, it does not work if we take where we see Israel and put the word church because it's a separate people he's talking about. Same thing if we look at Romans 11 and we're going to end up going through that whole chapter. I say then, has God cast away his people because we know who his people are, the Jewish people? Certainly not. For I am also a church of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people Who he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against the churches, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets? Do you see where I'm going with this? When we look within the context of scripture, we have to clearly see Israel means Israel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Yes, both are the bride of God, children of God, they're the chosen people of God. But guess what? In the New Testament, you'll never find a place where the church, the body of believers, is referred to as Israel, because they're not. They are joined, but the church does not replace Israel. Within the New Testament, you'll see the word Israel 70 times, 79 times if you count Israelite, and there are two explicit times only where it is referring in a way that Folks who go with replacement theology could try to have a case, but when we look at it, they don't. One is Romans 9, 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Paul there, in the context of what's going on, he's saying that one isn't truly Israel unless they're governed by God. It's how we know, similar to us, just because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean they're a follower of Christ. God's word didn't fail them, as that argument's going on in the context of that passage. It's that they're not all governed by God, who are of Israel. Now, the other passage that folks in replacement theology will often hold to is Galatians 6, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, when we look at that, the word end. The Greek there is kai, and it's a little word, but very important value. Because the full meaning of that word is and also. So we're seeing there peace, mercy to the followers of Jesus, as well to the Israel of God. So Paul blesses the house of Israel, the Jewish, as well as the Gentile believers of Yeshua. So when we see also in that context where he's writing to the church of Galatia, he's saying them, Gentile believers... In Galatians, we see you don't need to have circumcision. You don't need to follow the letter of the laws. Why? Salvation is from one alone. For Jew and Gentile, Jesus. Replacement theology ignores Kai in the New Testament manuscripts that clearly has two groups under one Messiah. Not replacing one another. Two under one. Galatians 3.26 for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you were, uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's unity within Christ, there's one in Christ but it's two separate entities. Israel, church, and those that come into belief. Now this sets the stage for a concept that some struggle with. Because if we think about that idea in Galatians, well, we're one in Christ and it could say, okay, well, that's, we're grafted in, so then we're all the same, right? So the church does replace Israel. No, let's walk through Romans 11 together. Turn there with me. So we look at Romans 11. Let's look at the first six verses. I say then, has God cast away his people? So in this, he's saying Israel's current condition, he goes right after that, certainly not. Israel's current condition doesn't cast them away from God forever. For I also am an Israelite, Jew chosen for salvation, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life? But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace." And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Israel rejects the Messiah, and yet God is still working through a faithful remnant. In this, when we look with Elijah, he felt alone, but God shows there's a faithful remnant. We have to pray for Jewish believers today. We have to pray for our brothers and sisters that are Jewish believers. Pray for them. Pray for them to be able to minister that other Jewish people would come to faith. And we see that it's ever clear. It is grace. It is a free gift. We don't do anything for it. It is a free gift. It is grace. Then we go to verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Now, there's a difference between stumble and fall, and the timing was great. Last night at uh, the men's study, our brother Don gave us a great thing. You stumble, you hurt your toe, you fall, you hurt your eyes. It was a good little hit there. But there's a difference that we see within there, and Israel stumbles but that doesn't remove God's plan and purpose from them. Israel stumbles and in their stumbling, there is the allowance for salvation to come to the Gentiles. Then we go to verse 15. For if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For, and this is again that, that moment, how great You've come to faith. How great when the Jews are able to come to faith. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And remember the first fruit. The first Christians were Jewish. Remember this. Verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches." But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but that the root supports you. The foundation of the Jewish believers that start the church and remembering that only by God's grace are we Gentiles grafted in. It's that grace. It's that same gift. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branch, he may not spare you either. Now, when we look at this, this grafting in that's taking place, nowhere does it say that the natural branches just all, they're gone forever. They're broken. Guess what? They're still there. The grafted in branches are an addition, they're not replacing. Then we go to verse 25, and Art carried us through some of this portion already. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Don't be ignorant of all of these things, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness, in part, temporary, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Blindness, in part, on Israel, so Gentiles can come in, not replace. Come in. Come into that. And so all Israel will be saved it's still it's not the spiritual Israel where the Jews gentiles all together this is the separation there same as verse 25 as it is written and Art walked us through this the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins and that's Isaiah 59 prophecy God still has a plan for Israel the natural branches the Jews the wild branches the gentiles The olive tree being the collective people of God. The natural are cut. The wild are grafted in. Grafted, 1828 Webster's. Inserted on a foreign stock. Not replacing. To make sure that we get that. And in the literal of the Old Testament here, when we're, we're going on and seeing what he's talking, this is the physical descendants, as Art had mentioned, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, restored to the right relationship with God, because God isn't done with Israel. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. That's what we were just talking. For the gifts and the calling of God, guess what, are irrevocable. And that's an important word there because God does not give up on the calling and purpose of the nation of Israel. And an application for us as believers, God does not give up on us as his children. And then we see, for as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. You see your gift, but guess what? Their disobedience is being used to let you in, but then their obedience is going to be coming. So what now? We recognize God's not done with Israel. God has a plan and purpose for Israel. What now? We remember the church is a new creation that came about on the day of Pentecost, the church is going to be there until the moment of the blessed hope happens. First Thessalonians four thirteen 13-18 But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Yes, you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of God, that the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, rapture. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So when the church is gone the restraining force and if you want to do a dive there second Thessalonians 2 that's kept the antichrist from being revealed now is gone cuz the restraining force the holy spirit within the church gone and then we're able to enter the great tribulation art set the stage as you walked us through some of that revelation 6 to 19 we see that the world is judged for the rejection of Christ and Israel is prepared undergoing various trials the tribulation seven years split three and a half years the beginning of the sorrows three and a half years that great tribulation with the abomination of desolation smack in the middle and i won't re-hit that art explain that beautifully and we have to understand yeshua our messiah told us the people of israel they're gonna believe the antichrist that's where there's falling that that's where we see the destruction that comes because John 5 where we are we just saw this you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they that which testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life i do not receive honor from men but i know you that you do not have the love of god in you i have come in my father's name and you do not receive me if another comes in his own name him you will receive Bam. They're not receiving him. But the one coming in another name, they're going to receive. There's going to be that deception that takes place where that peace that's offered. Okay, yeah, this this must be it. And then, boom, the desolation occurs. That covenant, that treaty, no more. And there's going to be those three and a half years that Zechariah 13 tells us what goes down there. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. Antichrist is coming, his armies are coming, and what are they going to do? They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my People, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Two-thirds destroyed by the Antichrist. One-third of the Jewish people, the Jewish remnant, coming to faith. At the end of the seven years, what happens then? Christ comes with the church, the 1,000-year millennial reign. And then the final judgment comes. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Because this is all applicable to what we see now. Revelation twenty eleven. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven have fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Death, the result of sin, gone. Hades, the result of death, gone. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is to come. Then God creates a new heaven, a new earth. Eternity begins And we can see that all through Revelation 21 and 22. I'll just read the beginning of chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Israel doesn't replace the church because Israel has a final purpose in all that's to come. If Israel replaced the church, Revelation would look different. It would look different. What we just walked through would look different. And during these times, folks, we need to understand that truth of replacement theology and stand in the gap where deception's taking place. Because too many folks are believing the church replaces Israel. Stop worrying about that place. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. Stop. No! This is God's people, there's a purpose, let's walk through this. There is a purpose and a plan that's going to happen. And the tribulation makes it so clear what's going to go down with the people of of Israel and the land and all, they're not the same. So what now? One, pray for believers around their world to open their eyes to biblical truth about Israel. Pray for people to stand for God's chosen people. They aren't perfect. No one is. But October 7th was a direct terrorist attack. And when we recall all God's provided through the Jewish people, Savior, Word of God, the land and the promises, the land that is His, that is theirs, pray for them. Two, pray for the church in Gaza. Sources that I look at say there's probably around 800 Christians in that region, they face persecution and the tensions are high right now, pray for the work that they're doing of striving to be the church. Pray for people to come to belief. Pray for that region. Pray for Iran. Sunday we're going to have the update with Elam, and we'll learn what's going on in that region. Pray for those within the walls of where the Hamas terrorists call home. Pray that they come to salvation. In the region, Muslims are coming to faith. Intercessors for America had a great article about that. They're coming to faith Pray for our nation. Pray for our borders. Pray for our leaders. We have to be realistic. When we look at what took place by Hamas, folks, we're not that far away from something like that happening in our own country. We've become a place where morale is lost. We no longer seek to honor God. And in the name of inclusion, unity is for everybody. But we forget, I like to say, the chief director of equity inclusion is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the equalizer. There's one race, human but we have social bandwagons that have made everything a mess and we need to pray for our leaders, get involved locally and we need to pray for the safety of this nation because it could happen like that, that what we saw took place in Israel takes place here. The other charge I give us to pray for are church leaders. Pray for church leaders that they're doing things correctly, that they're rightly dividing the word, rightly feeding their flocks, Pray for the men of the church. Pray for the homes of the men. And pray for restoration to biblical masculinity and that we stop running with the culture. Prideful and strong willed women are running rampant, and it's not okay. We need strong men, strong men of God, leading that people can have safety, that people have assurance, that they're leading in prayer, they're leading in biblical truth. Pray, we need men protecting, presiding, and providing. And lastly, most importantly, what I would say, what now, is pray for salvation. Pray that people would come to see and know the truth. Jesus, Yeshua, is Mashiach, Messiah. Pray that people would repent and give their lives to him. We know There's an eternal purpose that God has for Israel. Pray that Jewish people wouldn't wait to say, okay, well, if you Christians are all correct with what you're saying, great, I'll just stick it out for the the tribulation and see how that goes. And lots of people pray for salvation. Pray that they understand that. I want to read a passage of scripture. Art referenced it. And I just want us to hear this. And you mentioned Rashi, and there was a period where I had pondered doing some seminary things, and I did a class, and my paper was on Isaiah 53 5. And I cited Rashi and writing about that, and how it's all for him about the nation of Israel. Yet when we read this passage so clearly, it's about King Jesus, it's about Messiah, it's about salvation. Isaiah 53. I'm going to start with verse 12, actually, of 52. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Salvation. Eternal life. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All sin on Yeshua. The curse on Yeshua. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they have made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And that's the piece there. There's no sin in him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a great portion with uh, divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession. For the transgressors. There's a plan and purpose. We know with Israel. Messiah has come. Yeshua has come. The old covenant. Which we heard about. All of the sacrifice. All of the sacrifices that would need to be done. Blood. Year after year. Hebrews tells us about that. Guess what? With the new covenant. Once and for all. In Jesus. The high priest. The one who gives us access. To God the Father. So I think when we think about what now, there's yes, replacement theology contending accurately, but pray for salvation. And if you're sitting here tonight and Jesus isn't Messiah of your Lord and heart, the reality is if you breathe your last breath tonight and He's not Lord of your heart, the lake of fire is where you're going. That's just reality. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. That's just reality. But Yeshua has come. You don't have to do the works. So the 613, there's no way we could do it. I remember the first time I learned 613, I said, whoa, that, nope, can't do that. But it's a free gift. So if that's you and you're reconciling with that, Let's have a conversation before you leave here. Talk to me, talk to Pastor David, talk to Art even, talk to one of our elders, they're here. Talk to someone before you leave that you know that you know when you lay your head tonight, your name's in the book of life. Because in the midst of everything we see going on, as Pastor David said, yes, this is really hard, but yes, we're actually seeing everything come to life. Biblical prophecy is happening before our eyes. But that also means, what I read at the end of Revelation, that's a reality. And that too is coming. But you can know and have Jesus in your heart and the Holy Spirit illuminate the scripture to you and abide in you and dwell in you that you grow in him. So pray for salvation. If you don't know him, let's talk. And pray for salvation in that region. And pray for salvation of people in this country. And I keep saying this to our church. Share who Jesus is. We have no excuse. Be about the work of sharing who he is. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we were able to have to reflect on Israel, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so clear on the promises and purpose with that land and people, Heavenly Father. And we know every single promise will come to fruition, Heavenly Father. And while we eagerly await your promises and prophecies to be fulfilled, Lord, we eagerly pray for the salvation of lost souls, that they be written in the book of life, Lord, that they come to know you, that they come to say Jesus is my Messiah. Lord, we pray for anyone here tonight who may not know you, that even as we are praying, that their hearts would be softened unto realizing the gift that you've given. That they would come to know you as their Savior and live for you. And Lord, we pray for the people in Israel. We pray for salvation. We pray for salvation on the other side, Lord God. And Father, my heart continues to pray for only healing that can come from you. For the pains of loss and suffering that has gone through, Lord. And Lord, knowing that if that's all for their name to be in the book of life, praise be unto God the Father. For that eternity with you forever and ever, anything that we suffer through now does not compare. Thank you for the blessed hope. Help us to comfort one another with that. And thank you for the time that we shared this evening. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And just want to, we're a little behind, uh, later than nine, but we do want to just say if there's any questions, Pastor David can come back up here, Art can come back up here, or you can just talk to us individually, but are there any pressing questions right now from folks? Okay, so talk to us individually, and we will rock and roll that, okay? All right, good night everyone.